Welcome to Value Investing, the Starvine Way, where my goal is to help you learn more about value investing and compounding wealth with a long-term focus. We will accomplish this by sharing a mix of monologues and conversations. I'm your host, Stephen Coe, founder of Starvine Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as investment advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek advice that reflects their personal financial situation. In Alice in Wonderland, one had to run fast in order to stand still. In the stock market, one who buys right must stand still in order to run fast. Those are the words of Thomas Phelps, the author of an underappreciated investment classic called 100 to 1 in the Stock Market, which was published in 1972. We will separate select points from 100 to 1 into two parts. This episode, which will focus on the behavioral aspects, and the next episode, which will cover analytical and basic arithmetic needed to identify the big winners as highlighted by Phelps. There isn't too much information about Phelps in the public domain. This book is his legacy and there is no investment track record to examine as he was not a buy-side money manager. Phelps spent most of his career in media, first as a reporter and editor for the Wall Street Journal in the 1920s and 1930s, and then as an editor of Barron's in the 1940s. His last place of employment was at the investment brokerage firm Scudders, Stevens & Clark as a partner before retiring in 1970. The reason why 100 to 1 stands the test of time can be credited to the effectiveness with which Phelps was able to explain what is needed to excel as a long-term investor in terms of psychology and the basic math of investing. It is not a technical book insofar as security analysis goes, and yet it is rich in its investment wisdom and lessons that apply just as much today as when it was written. I look at the title 100 to 1 as more of a hook or attention grabber because the key points are that one must buy the right companies, be willing to hold on for decades, and let the power of compounding do its work. Phelps's motto was that the way to wealth is to buy right and hold on. That is, if one buys in at a favorable valuation and picks a good company, the best thing is to sit still for decades. It is important to note, though, that this advice is intended to counter unproductive activity, not to recommend putting them away and forgetting them. He opens the book by explaining that investors' biggest impediment is their tendency to set the bar too low and shortchange themselves. For example, by selling out after quick small gains on speculations or settling for 4-5% on their savings. Seldom do investors let time do its work, even when smart analysis leads to the selection of a great company. As per Phelps, We have been brainwashed into looking for and acting on types of information that have little or nothing to do with multiplying one's investment 100-fold. We are like small boys in a patch full of ripe melons, searching feverishly for a peanut or two. The obvious pushback to everything in the book is that it is all rearview information. But Phelps counters that by default, thousands of investors held the 360 stocks tabled in the book that went up 100-fold during the 35-year period he studied. In each year during that period, a different pick could have been made that resulted in a 100 times price increase by 1971. But very few, maybe not even one in a thousand, would have had the patience to hold on. Instead, the vast majority would have moved on after a modest gain. Bull market highs are made when the outlook for still higher prices is most broadly convincing. Conversely, bear market lows are made when the likelihood of still lower prices seems overwhelming. Stocks look best to so many of us when their prices are highest and worst when their prices are lowest. On that note, Phelps was told by a Wall Street veteran in 1932 that anyone with $10,000 to invest in the stock market at these prices is a rich man. The market was where it was because very few people did have that much money to invest. 
$10,000 invested in Eastman Kodak shares in 1932 would have grown to $1.4 million by 1971 without paying any commission or capital gains tax. Wrote Phelps, The worse the stock market is acting when you read this, the better the advice to buy right and hold on. Why did the Rothschilds buy when the streets were running with blood? Not because they liked red, simply because when things are that bad, they have to get better or nothing will matter. On errors, Phelps stated that the only thing worse than making an investment mistake is refusing to admit it and correct it. Usually the faster an error is rectified, the less it costs, but it is still an error, a lost opportunity compared with buying right and holding on. On market timing versus bottom-up thinking, Phelps recalls how he made a great market call, publishing a bearish letter in May of 1946, which coincided with the Dow Jones reaching a high. Air Products also had its initial public offering that month. The Dow Jones declined by 24% shortly after his market letter, and it did not recover to that same level until four years later. But by then, Air Products' share price had tripled. Phelps's point was that even if one has a strong conviction about what the market will do, it could be more profitable to instead focus on the right stock to buy. Why experience is sometimes a poor teacher. Investors often confuse memory with reasoning and act on memory. They do now what hindsight shows would have been profitable if they had done it 10 days, 10 months, or 10 years earlier under quite different conditions. He goes on to explain that shooting where the rabbit was is one of the most common investment errors. Time after time, year after year, men who would think you were crazy if you fired your gun at the spot from which the rabbit jumped a moment before buy stocks that have advanced and sell stocks that have declined. Phelps said he did that himself, having come to Wall Street as a young man shortly before the great crash happened, with a long decline in the markets between September 1929 and July 1932. He bought Southern Railway stock in 1929, months before the peak and sold for a quick double. And then he bought Southern Railway again at $8 after the crash, versus the $160 price he sold at not long before. He thought it was brilliant to buy it back for just the annual dividend it had been paying when he sold it. Phelps bought all he could on 50% margin, but within a few months it declined to $2.50 a share and he was wiped out, though he didn't have much to lose at the time. But Phelps claims these memories cost him millions because for the rest of his life, he risked too little and sold too soon. Experience and memory taught him to catch swings in the market. He said even when one is reasonably successful at it, it makes pennies compared with the gains garnered by those who buy right and hold on. Why holding on is so difficult in practice. Phelps said that other than a few individuals he knew, he couldn't cite formal track records to prove the profitability of buying right and holding on. He said that management of any mutual fund that tried to operate that way would be fired for sleeping on the job, and that only the most exceptional individuals have the willpower to adopt such a course and stick with it through the bad years that come with almost every great stock price rise. Further fueling the fire of hyperactivity in trading is the brokerage industry, of which Phelps was a part of for 11 years as a broker. Since brokerages thrive off trading commissions, by default they do not profit by their clients sitting still and doing nothing. He shared a story in which he lost a multi-million dollar client in 1949 when, as a stockbroker at the time at Scudder, Stevens & Clark, he stubbornly insisted that stocks were cheap and shouldn't be sold. Phelps would have profited by falling in line and selling thousands of shares on behalf of the client, but he refused and the client never came back. The book ends with memorable statements. All anyone can buy in the stock market at any time is the unknown future. The past is not for sale. Someone has already had it. And... To buy right requires vision and courage. 
To realize 100 to 1 requires patience, extraordinary tenacity, the will to hold on. This concludes part 1 of the why behind 100 to 1. In part 2, we delve into the how or what attributes are favorable in spotting the big winners before they happen. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please like and share. Questions can be sent to podcast at starvinecapital.com. Lastly, thank you for the reviews on Apple Podcasts as that helps us get discovered.